Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Pilati, and I am really excited today to go kind of from start to finish around the topic of how to build a product-led growth team from the ground up. And I'm really excited to be joined by Melissa Tan, who is a growth leader and advisor. Melissa, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Excited to chat today. Me too. So I I came across Melissa's profile and figured that she was going to be a great person to to dig through this topic. Uh, She is currently an advisor at Canva, Grammarly, previously was an advisor at Typeform, spent a bunch of years at Dropbox doing some growth work there. So I think she's the perfect person to talk through this stuff. So Melissa, why don't you give your quick background uh, intro and then we'll go ahead and jump in. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a growth leader and advisor. These days, I'm spending a lot of my time advising growth teams at product-led SaaS companies. Previously, I was at Dropbox. I joined the company when they were 200 people and was really fortunate to be at the company while we were figuring out how to build a product-led growth team at scale. And I initially joined on the sales side and was helping build out the various sales teams. And then I eventually transitioned to helping start uh, and lead the business growth team where I oversaw the self-serve business and scaled multiple growth teams focused along the Dropbox business funnel. Awesome. So a great person to talk through this topic. So let's start at the very top. When should someone consider building a product-led growth team? When is it a fit? When is it not a fit? Can you walk us through the thinking of that starting point? Yeah. So let's first quickly define product-led growth. Product-led growth is a go-to-market strategy and model where the product is the primary driver of user acquisition and conversion. And it's really this bottoms-up motion where the end user is able to try the product for free and then from there decides whether they want to upgrade or maybe also bring it to work and use the product at work. And there's a couple of criteria where it makes sense for product-led growth to, to be a good model. Um, One, there's low barriers to entry. So you can try the product for free or there's a free trial. Also, it's easy to quickly understand the value of the product. Once a user signs up, they can play with the product and understand why they might want to continue using it. And then three, the end user influences the purchase decision. So it's not something like maybe compliance or security software where certain functions at company just deploy it company-wide. It's very end user focused. And in the context of product-led growth, what ends up happening is because it's very end-user focused, you often will end up garnering a large user base of free users. And you have to actively think how you're going to activate these users, how you're potentially going to convert them from free to paid, and then also ultimately thinking about retention and some of the downstream metrics. And so with that, when you think about driving growth, it's kind of important to have a team that is a growth-oriented product management team because that's how you can reach users with dedicated engineering, design, analytics, and marketing. And it usually makes sense to start thinking about creating this team once you've reached product market fit and you have a sizable user base where there's a significant opportunity cost in not optimizing the funnel. And I just want to underscore something here because I feel like Having a product-led growth team or a product-led approach has become such a such a craze that I hear people trying to invest in product-led growth in a context where it doesn't necessarily make sense for them. And so a couple of the elements that you talk through here, the low barrier to entry, 
easy to understand the value and end user influence purchase decision. Do you feel like those are pretty critical to having? Like you kind of can't really invest in product-led growth teams if you have an absence of those things, right? Yeah, I think it's going to be really challenging or it doesn't really make sense for that to be your motion if you don't meet those three criteria. There is a growing trend I'm seeing where traditionally enterprise companies are actually thinking, how do we actually make the product self-service? Because we want both to have the sales channel as well as a self-serve channel. And so what I'm seeing there is they're actually making the product then self-service where you can start a free trial um, and they're investing in product and engineering resources to do that. And so that is definitely a critical step in creating a product-led growth motion is making it easy for users to sign up, for them to, to onboard without talking to a rep and to really set it up on their own. Makes sense. So let's say somebody's listening so far and they say, great, I fit those criteria. And, you know, we've reached product market fit. We got a big user base and we're really going to double down on product-led growth and build up a team. Or in that other case that you were just talking through, we have more of an enterprise motion and we want to build out this self-service motion as part of our offering. Um, the next question I have is like, where do I start? What is the what is the next thing I should do once I say, great, time to get going, now what? Yep, that's a good question. I, I think it really starts first with defining what the goals are and the success metrics. And then from there, building a team around that and figuring out what are the surface areas and resources you need to move that metric. And typically, a growth team's end goal is to help increase revenue, but you have to break it down into its various components. And so if you think about the funnel, there's like the sign-up portion, there is activation, there is conversion from free to paid, and then there's downstream metrics like you know team expansion or expansion revenue and retention. And so at the start, most teams are focusing mostly on how do you increase active users. And so the focus might be on increasing signup or increasing activation. And once you've nailed down what your KPIs are, you can start thinking about, let's say, for example, you decide, do you want to increase signup? Maybe it makes sense to run experiments on the, the website to improve conversion rates. Maybe it makes sense to figure out how to drive free to paid and run experiments in the product to, to get people to, to upgrade. Um, so from there, I think it really starts with the KPIs and then figuring out what's the right team and the resourcing to move those KPIs. Yep. So this is important because what you're saying is don't hire the team and then ask them to come up with the KPIs and go from there. You're saying like, you have to go into the hiring process with at least your baseline of what the outcomes that you want are. Yeah. I actually think as obvious as it sounds, some teams have a hard time getting started because they're not sure what KPI they're trying to move or they're trying to do too many at once. And so it then means the team ends up not being focused and not knowing where to prioritize and where to spend their time. Yeah, makes sense. So let's say you've you've built those out, you have a good sense of what the outcomes and KPIs are that you're looking for. When you think about where we're going to hire up this team, who should this team report to? Like, let's say maybe I'm I'm going through this process and I'm a founder or I'm like a VP of product or VP of sales or something like that. How do I think about where they should report once we hire this team? Yeah, I get this question all the time. And my answer is honestly, it kind of depends on the company context. 
and the culture. Our team at Dropbox moved four different times. Each had its own trade-off and each made sense in the context of where we were as a company. Really, at the end of the day, what a growth need team needs is the right resourcing. So one bottleneck is typically getting the en- initial engineering resourcing or maybe design resourcing. So make sure they have the right resourcing. There needs to be alignment across the different teams. So growth is super cross-functional. And so you need to make sure that teams across product, marketing, sales, they're all aligned in terms of how you work together. And then finally, you need a founder and exec level buy-in. Because it's so cross-functional, you need to make sure that at the leadership level, there's an interest in creating a a growth team so that when things aren't going well, um, the the company is bought into making sure this, this growth team is successful. Yep. And I have a lot of similar experiences around what you're saying that the team at Dropbox moved four times. Uh, We have done similar thing at Drift. Like I've seen the growth team. We we were on the team when it reported to the chief revenue officer, then the VP of products. We reported up to marketing person for a little bit and, you know, the VP of growth. So yeah, I, I very much agree with that. You know, it depends on the team culture and, and structure. And so let's say we, we've worked through this. We, we've talked to leadership. We have a good sense of who they're going to report to and where they're going to be. How do we actually then put this team together? Who is a good fit? Why are they a good fit? What types of profiles are you looking for? Yeah, there are a few core competencies uh, I tend to look for when assembling the growth team. The first piece is having folks that are both analytical, but also user-centric. So growth really is founded in the numbers. And so people need to be able to map out and analyze the funnel, size opportunities, think through segmentation, partner closely with data science to do things like you know, scoring or identifying propensities to upgrade or propensities to churn. But on the flip side of that, they also need to be super user-centric behind every data point is a user. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that. And so it's really important to know who your user is, um, what they care about, what's their job to be done. And so you want people that can balance and straddle both the analytics piece, but also the qualitative user piece. You also need people that have kind of this marketing DNA. So, you know, when you think about optimizing the funnel, Messaging and positioning is super important. Thinking about the life cycle campaigns are really important. So it is really this hybrid of, of growth product and marketing. And then finally, the last two things that are very critical are folks that are results-oriented and execution-oriented. Results-oriented, I think that's actually the most important thing is people that just get super excited about moving the numbers and have this relentless drive to improve whatever metrics they're working on. So at Dropbox, there were times when I think at some point we 10 x some of the conversion rates on parts of the funnel, but we actually didn't stop there. We were like, how do we 10 x it again? And so really it's this relentless drive to, to keep uh, pushing the numbers and, and doing better. And then finally, execution is really important because there are so many moving pieces and stakeholders involved in just running an experiment and getting it off the ground. You need folks that are able to set up an operating cadence and work across many different teams and ship things. So those are essentially the core competencies I usually look for. You're probably not going to find all of this in one person. And so it's really about assembling the team that complements each other. 
And I think when you think about standing up a team, you also can be really creative. Um, it doesn't have to be a seasoned growth person that you hire externally. In fact, growth is a fairly new discipline. So there aren't a ton of very experienced practitioners out there. And so how we built our initial team at Dropbox is a lot of folks transferred in. Maybe they came from marketing, from sales, but they brought different perspectives from Dropbox and essentially learned how to do growth. And so you can be creative about how you think about assembling the team and I would say look for these core competencies and figure out how do you then build a team that that complements each other. Love that. And for folks listening, taking notes, those core competencies were analytics and user-centric, marketing, have, have they have a core marketing DNA, uh, results-oriented, and execution-oriented. So great. So we're looking for, for those core pieces. We can get creative. We don't necessarily need people that have growth in their previous titles. What are some common mistakes, though, that you know maybe some people overlook when they're making these first hires? Yeah, I would say... A big one is like hiring the right individuals for the context of the stage of the company and also the company culture and how work is done at the company. So early on, you probably want someone that's very scrappy, analytical. They need to be a good communicator because they need to align a lot of different teams. And most importantly, this person also needs to be a first principles thinker and not just copy pasting maybe something they did in their previous growth team, just because growth is different at every company and how you approach it is going to be very different. And so one thing that you can do in the interview process as you build an early growth team is doing problem solving together. And I often think it's not so much about the previous experience, although of course that matters, but it's more about how they think and how they'd approach growth in the context of what makes sense and what's important to the company in the moment. And then the second piece is the, that I mentioned is culture. And so, again, growth is just so cross-functional that the person is going to need to figure out how to, to get work done and align people across teams. When a growth team starts, it can feel like you're encroaching on a lot of different teams. And so it's important that an early person has strong EQ and can build trust um, with all the different people they're working with. And to build on that last note, too, I personally would say that the person also needs to have, like, on on the EQ part, like, they have to have a lot of patience, and they have to be a good, like, teacher and educator in a way. Like, I think you put yourself in a little bit of a dangerous spot if you hire, like, the incredibly sharp growth person that just wants to steamroll other teams, right? It's it's using that EQ, understanding how other teams are feeling about it, but then also being willing to take the time and effort and energy to create more of a growth culture at the company. Because at least from what I've learned, uh, like a lot of my initial role when I switched over to growth role at Drift was a lot of like just working with other teams to help them understanding like core A-B testing, like how to think about any any data set that we're looking at. So that that's something I'd toss in there as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's important. I think with growth, you sometimes feel an urgency and you want to move quickly, but you also need to bring people along and be patient and, and take the time to, to build those relationships. Absolutely. So let's say you, you made a couple of those hires, you, you found some good fits. How do you get them rolling? Like how, how do they get started executing? Yeah. So in terms of how you then get started, you know, we talked about the importance of setting the KPIs and defining success. 
Once you have defined that, then it's about learning about the problem space. This might be first mapping out the funnel and looking at the metrics to understand where the key opportunities are and the key drop-off points are. There's also a qualitative piece involved. So doing the user research here, I always recommend leveraging sales and customer support. They're talking to users every day. And so you actually can get a lot of insights from just talking to sales and asking them what different users care about, what their key questions are as they think about buying, etc. And then once you have both the quantitative and the qualitative piece, this is when you start identifying hypotheses on how you can improve parts of the funnel or where you should initially start. And every initiative should really tie back to a hypothesis and every experiment should really result in some learning. So even if it fails, because you're experimenting based on a hypothesis, you're able to then prove a hypothesis true or false. And so, you know, you map out your KPIs, you understand the problem space. The next piece is building the operating cadence. And this is actually sometimes one of the more challenging parts of of setting up a growth team is figuring out, okay, how do we actually run an experiment from start to end? Who do we loop in? How do we share that we are going to run experiments? Let's say you run experiments on the website. You don't want to catch anyone on sales or support by surprise by something that you're that you've changed on the website. And so it's really like putting all the pieces together to figure out how you're going to run experiments and run growth initiatives. And then finally, I, I always recommend being super 80-20. Um, you need to be super uh, methodical when you're initially starting up the team just because you know, you want to prove the value of a growth team quickly. And so it's not about perfection. It's about just testing a lot of stuff out there and uh, optimizing for learning to understand your funnel better and understand what uh, types of initiatives uh, might help move the needle. Okay, so once we get the team rolling with all those pieces, how do I then look at it and know, is this working? Or is it not? Like, is this team off to a good start or is it not? Because I think sometimes it can get really fuzzy. I would love your take on that. Yeah. In some ways, for better or worse on growth, the numbers speak for themselves. So you know it's working, you know, one way is if you're uh, actually moving the needle on, on the numbers, then something is working there. You might still be working out the kinks in terms of your operating cadence, but at least you're making progress on, on moving the numbers. That said, if you are, let's say you ran a few experiments and not finding wins, I would say that's not failure. It actually takes time to figure out, you know, how, you know, what types of initiatives work. Um, And, you know, honestly, most experiments, I'm sure you know this, Matt, most experiments fail. So if you're not able to move the metrics in the first initial months, it doesn't necessarily mean it's failure. As long as you're getting into the rhythm of identifying hypotheses, and you know your experiments are getting you closer to your roadmap and insights into what you want to do next, and you're starting to build a repeatable process, I think that's what success looks like. On the converse, failure is kind of like running experiments that are not informed by insights or driven by hypotheses. And even from your failed experiments, you're not learning. Um, I think that's what failure looks like. It's it's not being methodical about your approach and about what you want to learn and how that informs your your roadmap. Yeah, completely agreed. Uh, I, I think a word that you used earlier was cadence. And I think the 
that cadence, that momentum, seeing the the team shipping stuff, even if it's failure, it matters if the team, like even if they have momentum, they have a cadence, the failure is very different if it looks like you ask them, what did you learn from that thing? And they say, well, that didn't work versus like that didn't work because of this. We learned this and we not, we're not going to try this thing again. And here's why. Like that is just a very, very different type of story. Yeah, 100% agree. It's really important to like, I think sometimes people also give up too easily early on. Like, let's say you run an experiment, it fails and you're like, oh, well, that type of experiment just doesn't make sense or that surface area is not the right place to experiment. I would push teams to keep trying and maybe just because something fails doesn't mean you just give up on that specific experiment. I would say sometimes it gives you inspiration to be like, let's approach it this way. And that's how you end up, I think, getting getting better in terms of building your intuition on on what's what will work or not. Completely agreed. So we talked a little bit earlier about some mistakes that you see that teams make when they're hiring and putting the team together. What are some of the mistakes that you see these product-led growth teams that are getting built from the ground up making as they're going through those first few months or you know first year of executing? So... The biggest, maybe, I I don't know if I'd call them mistakes, but they're more problem areas. I I see um, a pretty consistent one at the highest level is at different points in time of scale, you're probably going to run into issues along aligning with various teams you're working with and aligning on potentially goals or service areas, right? So let's say you start to run more experiments in the product, but there is another product team also working on that area, it's important to align together. And I would say that's one of the challenges of growth is figuring out alignment with all these different teams. As a growth team scales, another form of that is maybe you have a consumer growth team and a B2B growth team, they need to work really closely and align as well. And so that's a common failure point is just the alignment piece. And it's really open. It's really important to have an open discussion and talk to each other when things aren't working well so you can address it. The other common problem area, you actually alluded to this, Matt, which is not evangelizing the growth work and bringing people along. I think sometimes growth comes across as this like rogue skunks works project. You never want it to feel that way. Because growth is still fairly new, it's important to share what the growth team is doing that fact that it's methodical and hypothesis driven and that they're not just like hacking together experiments. So so that's like another piece. And then the other mistakes more on the executional front is balancing iterating quickly without sacrificing the user experience. You really want to make sure that it's to, uh, like ultimately a, a great user experience is going to drive growth. And so I think what some teams get wrong is thinking that they need to run a lot of different experiments that are not really well thought through or result in a poor user experience. And so you need to figure out what's the balance between those two. And then the other failure point I see is as the team scales, the importance of building systems and processes where multiple growth PMs or growth managers can work together and run many different experiments across different service areas and have it be really smooth. Thank you for walking us through that. So how about we go ahead and tie it all together with, we've thought about the team, we've got the KPIs, we've hired a team, put them in place, they're driving momentum, uh, they're starting to get some impacts. How do you think about growing or evolving this team over time? Like, is the next move to just 
build a secondary team that parallels the first one? Do you add more engineering resources to it? Do you put them on functional parts of focus? Like this team owns attribution, this team owns acquisition, whatever it might be. How do you think about that? Typically, how I see a growth team evolving is they're usually starting on one part of the funnel, and that's typically sign up or activated users. They then find success in moving those numbers, and then they build other growth teams that are focused on different parts of the funnel, and maybe not teams, but uh, add PMs that might be focused on activation, on retention, on team growth. So typically, the evolution is you, as you uh, nail one part of the funnel. And I don't know if it nails the right word because you're always trying to continuously optimize. But as you figure one piece out, you start to say, how do we apply how we did growth in that part of the funnel to other parts of the funnel? And it doesn't always look the same, I would say. Like there's different folks you would hire to work on activation versus the, the sign up and top of the funnel. But that's typically kind of the evolution I see. And then over time, the other evolution might be the company is launching more products. And so they want to think through, okay, how do we drive growth across the entire business? Dropbox's example here is there's a consumer business as well as a B2B side. So how do we drive growth across both? And then it gets really fun once you start also thinking about sales and you start to also think about, well, how do we take a growth approach to sales and also experiment on the sales side? and have growth and sales work closely together to figure out how to move the needle on revenue together. All right. Thanks. We So we talked through the starting point. So should I spin up a product-led growth team down through thinking about the goals and the hiring, getting the team going, what good looks like, some things to avoid, and then evolving that team over time? Is there anything you want to kind of tie it all together with before we go ahead and wrap? Yeah, the one thing I would love to emphasize is that growth teams, how you start the team, what they focus on, how they evolve, it's all going to look really different at different companies and at different stages. So hopefully some of what we discussed today provides some inspiration, but I would recommend definitely just taking the nuggets here and there that make sense for you and and apply it in a way that makes sense for the context of, of the company and the product. And the second thing I would say is, you know, as you start a growth team, it can be really hard. It could be painful. Things aren't going to go right. I would say don't give up. If you have failed experiments or if it's difficult to align cross-functionally, you know, just keep going and, and keep running different experiments. Have an open conversation with your stakeholders. You'll, you'll eventually get there. And so those are probably my two other kind of uh, recommendations as, as people think about starting their growth teams. Love that. It's almost like you could think about the growth team itself as um, the meta version of the experiment, right? You're you're placing a bet on this and experimenting with it and saying, all right, let's set up the structure and see if it works and, and kind of go with it from there. Yes, exactly. I actually always actually say that, which is growth. Setting up a growth team is an experiment in itself that you have to constantly iterate. Absolutely love that. All right. So Melissa, thank you again for joining. This was really great. It was a great like masterclass overview run through of, of what this looks like. This is the type of episode that someone takes and, and shares with someone else and says, hey, we, we want to get started on this. Let's Let's listen to this. So thank you again for joining. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Matt.
Absolutely. And for all you folks listening out there, I know you got so many things you could spend your time on. I really, really appreciate you spending it here, listening to these episodes. If you're a fan of this one, there's plenty more uh, with other amazing people in the podcast. Go ahead and check those out. Subscribe, drop feedback, leave a review. My email is mattadrift.com. I'd love to hear from you for anything at all. Thank you so much. And I will catch you on the next episode. Bye.